0: Jesus says, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And Father, we just humble ourselves before you, In this moment, and as we continue now in our worship, we just ask for the help of your Holy Spirit to prepare us accordingly to hear what it is that you want to say to us this morning. Lord, we ask you to bless your word and that you would speak to us through what you have spoken already in the word of God by the ministry of your spirit who inspired it. We pray now your spirit would be the one who instructs us and teaches us in a direct way this morning that we might hear his voice and that you would speak to us, God what it is that's on your heart from this portion of Scripture. And we ask this expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, it is a wonderful thing to be able to know personally that our Lord Jesus came to earth as a man 2,000 years ago and that leaving his throne there in heaven in eternity coming to earth to live as a man, to reveal God as what he is truly like, to be able to, of course, ultimately suffer and die for the punishment of our sin and then to raise back from the realm of the dead uh, and then ultimately to ascend back to his throne in heaven where he lives forever and all the wonderful benefits that now offers to us spiritually. Forgiveness of sins, the hope and assurance of eternal life, a personal living relationship With God through his son Jesus Christ well as much as it is wonderful to know that Jesus came to earth initially it's also important to know and to remember that Jesus the same Jesus is coming back once again and that's really the focus of our Lord's words as you can tell here in our passage today. In Matthew chapter 24, since we haven't been studying it together, Jesus is giving to us a teaching that really was being spoken to his disciples. Important to understand as he's giving this message, the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, he's not speaking to the crowds and to the multitudes. He is speaking specifically to his followers. And more than that, he's speaking in direct response to a question that they asked him. A question that they asked him back in Matthew 24, verse 3, where they said to Jesus, What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? It is that question that our Lord Jesus is answering in this chapter in the midst of this teaching. He's specifically answering their question, Lord, what will be the sign of your coming And the end of the age. Now, Jesus has already mentioned a few signs in this teaching prior to this point that will characterize the season of his coming, kind of indicators that indicate the season of his coming. He spoke about how there would be rise of false saviors. There would be wars and rumors of wars, always talking about the next conflict that was going to happen. Nations rising against nations and famines and pestilences and earthquakes, you know, great cataclysmic events that are happening on the earth. And Jesus said, these will be the beginning of sorrows And that word is interesting in the Greek, the beginning of sorrows. It literally is the beginning of birth pains, or we might say contractions. And of course, we know how that process works. Birth pains or contractions are what happen that lead up to and produce the delivery of a child. And it's interesting that Jesus uses that terminology saying birth pains and contractions will be happening on the earth. And he indicates kind of the signs of what they'll look like leading up to the delivering or the ushering in of the age uh, of the coming of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, two things we know, for certain, I've watched the process. I didn't participate. My wife gets all the credit for that. I watched the process three times. Uh, And in that process, two things characterize contractions or birth pains. First of all, they become more and more frequent, Shorter gaps of time in between them as it leads up to the delivery. And they also become more intense as you get closer to the delivery. So Jesus, as he says, these signs, and he mentions different ones, and the word of God gives us different signs to be looking for. He says these things are going to be the beginning of birth pains or contractions. So what he's saying is these signs that have been spoken about by him, as well as in the word of God, we have other ones. This is an exhaustive list that Jesus gives. He says it's going to be like birth pains. You're going to see these things happening with greater frequency. That is there'll be smaller gaps of time between the next time something happens, the next time and he says and it will get more and more intense every time it happens. So it will happen more often and it will happen way more intense each time it'll get greater and greater in its intensities it leads up to the end of the age and the coming of the Lord. And now Let me just say, as we talk about the coming of the Lord, it's important to remember, or if not be acquainted with the fact that the Bible teaches in regards to the return of the Lord, really that it happens, if I could use this terminology, in somewhat, you might say, two phases. And what I mean by that, when I talk about the two phases of the coming of the Lord, of the return of Jesus Christ, is one phase is what we often call the rapture of the church. That is that time where our Lord Jesus will appear in the air and he comes for his church. That is you and I, his followers, true believers, Christians. And in the rapture or the catching away of the saints, Jesus comes in the air for his church to snatch us off the earth and to bring us home to heaven where we are there together safely tucked away in the eternal realm for a time period the other phase of what we might also refer to as the coming or the return of the lord is often more times referred to as the second coming of christ and that is when jesus comes back with his church you and i who've been raptured already up and taken up into heaven he comes back with his church and he actually comes to the earth and touches down upon the earth and then sets up his kingdom Upon the earth and rules and reigns for what we call the kingdom age after he overthrows the Antichrist. Now, as we're going to look at this passage together of Jesus' teaching on the coming of the Lord or his return, I figure it would be helpful if you could just bear with me for a moment here by way of introduction to just give a, a brief summary, if I could. Uh, of what we believe from the teaching of Scripture regarding end times events, kind of the order of the flow of what things will happen in regards to end times theology or end times doctrine. First of all, the Bible is very clear that during the last days, things are going to get darker and darker, worse and worse. Paul says in 2 Timothy, in the last days, perilous times are going to come. So it's scheduled to get darker and worse morally and spiritually and then suddenly there is going to be this event no prophecy need left to be fulfilled according to what I understand of scripture for Jesus to then rapture his church or to remove believers from the planet this event referred to in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 of the catching away of the saints or the raptures we just mentioned a minute ago, where Jesus instantaneously snatches all believers off of the earth in an instant to bring us home into the eternal realm where we are safely tucked away with him in the midst of what is then about to come. Once the church is removed, it initiates what is often referred to as a seven year period, often defined as the tribulation, a seven year time period That comes against the Christ-rejecting world that has been left behind where there's great suffering of the wrath of the Lord. It's often referred to at times as well as the 70th week of Daniel uh, from Daniel's prophecy. And what that means, the 70th week of Daniel, is that there is one seven-year time period left in which God will directly and specifically uniquely work and fulfill certain things among his chosen nation, the nation of Israel. And that's what that 70th week of Daniel refers to, and that will happen also during that seven-year period of tribulation. During that time, once the church is removed and the seven-year period begins, there will be a reestablishment of what we might call revived Roman Empire, a confederation of European nations of which the Roman Empire once existed many years ago. And this revived Roman Empire will establish a global or a one-world government. And that one-world government or global government will be headed or directed, you might say, by the emergence of a one-world ruler who's demonically inspired, who the Bible refers to as the Antichrist. And as the Antichrist emerges as the one-world ruler, he will usher in world peace, a global one-world economy, a one-world religion, it seems, of sorts, And he will permit the Jewish people in a sense feigning to be a friend to the Jews initially to even rebuild their temple there in Jerusalem. And somehow he will negotiate in his mastery and deception peace in the Middle East legitimately in a way no one's ever been able to do before, even allowing the Jews to rebuild their temple. And then yet halfway through that seven year period, that same world leader, the Antichrist, the Bible says, is going to enter into that rebuilt Jewish temple. And it says he is going to, in that very rebuilt temple of the Jews, proclaim himself to be God and demand to be worshipped and obeyed as God. The abomination that causes desolation, the Bible refers to. And that then triggers the last three and a half years of that seven-year period, of which is often referred to as the Great Tribulation. A time when he turns fiercely then against the Jews, persecutes them intensely, exercises the Antichrist, his demonic powers in destructive and deceptive ways. And at the same time that he is doing that, there are great cataclysmic events that will be unfolding upon the earth, hundred pound hailstones and water turning to blood, and great death and and, and just cataclysmic events happening all over the planet, bringing human suffering that has never even been fathomed could come to pass before during that last three and a half years of what's called the Great Tribulation. And as that seven-year period comes to a close, that is then what brings about, as we refer to, that second phase of the second coming of Jesus. That after seven years, why, we have been preserved from that wrath because Jesus suffered our wrath upon the cross, and because he punished, was punished for our sins and we believe he bore the wrath of God for our sin, God's not going to punish us a second time. If that were the case, that would mean Jesus' punishment wasn't sufficient. I don't believe the Bible teaches that we're going to suffer a second time. You're free to believe that. Um, I'm an escapist. You're free to have your own theology. The Bible says we're not appointed to wrath but obtain salvation. Uh, And we're the bride of Christ, and I have a hard time reading what's going to happen during the seven-year period of tribulation and imagining Jesus, the best groom, would subject his bride to that. Uh, But again, you're free to to disagree if you want to be here for that time. I don't know. You can ask. Maybe God will let you, but uh, not in my theology. I'm getting out of here. When I get snatched, I'm not saying send me back. And if you're a true believer, I'll just explain it more on the way up. As we're up there for seven years, I can help you sort that out. So – We return at the end of that seven-year period, the second coming of the Lord with the Lord Jesus Christ. As he comes at the end of the tribulation, the Bible says he quickly overthrows the Antichrist, the rebellion of man that's happening upon the earth in the Christ-rejecting world. And he very quickly, it says, deals with the Antichrist, Satan, deals with them with quick work, and he sets up then his throne upon the earth which he then rules and reigns as king of what is rightfully his here upon this planet. And that then begins a period of time, which is often called the kingdom age, a thousand year or what we call millennium thousand years reign of Christ, where he rules in righteousness as king of kings, as he comes back as a glorious warrior king and sets up his reign upon this earth and begins to even restore aspects of the paradise of God that once existed before sin defiled and ruined everything. And at the end of that a thousand year reign of Christ, the kingdom age, there's then of course the great white throne judgment where those who have rejected Jesus Christ will face their final final sentencing. If you would cast into the lake of fire where they are tormented forever and ever in eternal damnation. We who are followers of Christ will then have the great privilege at the end of the kingdom age to enter into that glorious eternal reward, the glorious Eternal reward of what's called the New Jerusalem, this holy city, this eternal experience that we will then dwell with our Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. No more pain, nor sorrow, nor death, nor suffering, nor crying. Everything glorious. Forever and ever and ever. Man, you could say Jesus' name and go home right there, couldn't you? But we're going to actually study the Bible a little further. So sorry to disappoint. At this point, let's look at the words of the Lord Jesus. Hopefully that general understanding just gives you a little bit of a grasp. If I mention certain terms, hopefully that will help a little bit as we unpack our Lord's words in our text today. Verse 36, Jesus here says to us, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but, he says, my Father only So notice in verse 36, Jesus makes it very clear that the actual day and hour of his coming will happen totally unexpectedly among humanity. I mean, his words are very evident there in verse 36, that the day of the return of the Lord will not ever be able to be known, Jesus says, by any human being. It is a date and hour that cannot be known. It cannot be known, but will happen unexpectedly and bring surprise. And that is by God's purposeful determination. You notice the words of our Lord there in verse 36 again. He says, not even the angels of heaven are informed. God won't even disclose to the angels in the heavenly realm that actual day and hour in which he will tell his son to return. You cannot get more clear and direct about jesus's own coming as he says there of that day and hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven but only my father the turn of the lord is to have an element of surprise by god's determination that is the way god has set for it to happen it will catch people off guard now i believe what from study here jesus is referring to in verse 36 down through verse 42 specifically In this section is referring to that first phase of his coming, as we talked about the rapture of the church, that time when Jesus appears in the air. He doesn't come to earth. He appears in the air and the trumpet blasts and the voice of the archangel and he quickly removes his church from the earth in an instance described in first Thessalonians four, verse 15 through 17. in this way it says, for this, we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive Christians on the earth and remain until the coming of the Lord. That is, you didn't die prior to the coming of the Lord. You're still alive at that point. will by no means precede Those who are asleep, who've died for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, harpazo, it's snatched away instantly, yanked forcibly in an instant, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So the moment the Lord instantly reappears in the blink of an eye, in a in a millisecond or whatever fastest time frame we could think of the trumpet blasts and believers are instantly snatched, forcibly taken off of the planet to meet the Lord in the air. And regarding that event, Jesus says in verse 36 of that day, when that event happens, he says, no one knows the day or the hour when that is going to happen. Now, the reason why I personally believe that verse 36 through 42 in this section of the teaching, Jesus is talking about the rapture and not his second coming when he comes back to set up his throne on the earth is because of the language that is used by Jesus. Let me just say three things specifically. First of all, it says here that this event specifically this day and hour is going to happen unexpectedly. That it's, it's going to be a great surprise unexpectedly. Well, when you study the Bible as a whole regarding the second coming of Jesus, when he does come back to set up his throne on the earth, the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 12 verse 11 that from the exact day that the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt Jewish temple and proclaims himself to be God, Daniel twelve eleven tells us, that it will then be exactly 1,290 days until Christ returns and puts an end to all the evil and demonic activity of the Antichrist. So the Bible says, should you choose to bear through the tribulation and not accept Jesus Christ if you're not a Christian, the Bible says that from the moment the Antichrist goes in and proclaims himself to be God, at that point you can count specifically the exact number of days until the second coming of Jesus comes back and until the misery ends and all the diabolical activity and cataclysmic, horrible events and suffering end upon this earth. Now, so again, Jesus says this day and hour, it catches people off guard. The Bible says the second coming, you can number the days once that event happens. So to me, this couldn't be a reference because of the way Jesus describes this event. We're also told in the verses following, which we read That this event, again, is going to catch people off guard. It's going to be business as usual. And then by shock, people are going to be surprised when this particular event happens. Again, if you just read Revelation 6 to 18 and other places of what's going to be happening during the tribulation period when people are suffering on this earth, people are going to know something's going on. It's not going to be business as usual. People are distracted and get, people are going to be suffering horribly on the planet. So it's not like they could be caught off guard. Whoa, we weren't expecting that to happen. They know something's happening. It'd be impossible to not know something is going on. And thirdly, Jesus says in verse 42, your Lord's coming. He's talking to believers here. Your Lord's coming. He's giving these words as an encouragement and an exhortation to those who know Jesus as Lord, waiting for him to come back because their heart is yearning for it. So we know from verse 36, first of all, Jesus indicates his return, that is the rapture of the church when he removes us off at that point, is going to happen as a surprise. Humanity will be shocked. They will be caught off guard. We as well don't even know the day and the hour. We're going to be pleasantly surprised. (laughs) Hopefully, if you're doing what's right and not fooling around, you're going to be pleasantly surprised. We're going to be shocked and surprised as instantly we are caught up to meet Jesus. But again, Jesus' own words as God in the flesh here, he says that day and hour cannot be known. It will not ever be known among humanity. Now, remember that when super spiritual people try and set dates and say, come to my conference, or or here's a date, or we calculated this, or we figured out the backwards interpretation of the Greek language in the New Testament. Jesus said, I'll take his word. Nobody knows the day and the hour. Very simplistic way to just be careful of those kind of things. And notice, God intends it to happen that way, folks, for a reason, because it prompts people to get ready. And it prompts us to live ready because we know that... Anything could happen at any moment, and therefore we don't delay in spiritual matters. It's not knowing the day of the Lord's return, not knowing the day when the rapture will happen and the tribulation of suffering begins and people are left behind. It's not knowing that that helps people not delay spiritually. That's an incentive for people to get saved today, now. That's an incentive for us as the church, as his followers, to to live ready now, now to be ready, to, to live pure lives. The Bible says he who has this hope purifies himself. It's a purifying effect to the church to refrain from fooling around in sin, to know that at any moment we could be out of here. That biblically, that is what Jesus says. At any given hour of any given day, and that's how it's gonna happen, when it seems like it's not, at any given hour, instantly, it can be over. Instantly we can be caught into the presence of the Lord and I don't want to be doing something dumb right when I get caught up and I finally look Jesus in the eyes. I want to be living in a way that I have no regret and if people knew the day, I mean, let's be real. If people knew the day, what will we all do as humanity? We would live as compromised as possible and we'd be watching and we'd have a reminder set on our iPhone. Hey, what, 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 we know the day, whatever, and at 3 p.m. So we'd, we'd set a reminder at 2.30 on our phone. Repent, get right, confess, read your Bible the next half hour, and pray. I mean, we would, we would do that, and God knows humanity. And so that's why he leaves us in this way of not knowing. It keeps us sober and alert so that we stay right with God today. It's an incentive spiritually it's something that's to be a motivator. So Jesus said, no one knows the day and the hour. Verse 37, he says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming, of the, so also will the coming of the son of man be. So notice Jesus is instructing that we can expect and observe certain conditions to characterize the season of the coming day and hour when he does return. He says there are certain things that will characterize times just prior to his coming. He's making a comparison here in these verses of a prior time period before when God's judgment came upon the entire world during the days of Noah. Again, look at verse 37, the language he says, just as that's a comparative term, just as comparison. The days of Noah were right before God did what interrupted human history and intervened and judgment came, just as those days, so also, in the same way, will be the days before the coming of the Son of Man. So what characterized the world and humanity in the days of Noah, right before God brought judgment and interrupted human history, he says, well, look, in the same way, Jesus tells us, that's what will also characterize the days leading up to the coming of the Lord, to my return, Jesus says. Now, we know from Genesis chapter 6, if we just study our Bible, what characterized the days of Noah right before the flood. Those were days, Genesis 6 tells us, when there was moral and spiritual decline in a very rapid pace. That people were spiraling and spiraling and spiraling downward morally and spiritually. There was strange demonic activity that was going on there was an increase in satanic activity and things that were happening on the planet the bible says that the wickedness of man was great in the earth in those days it says that the uh, every intent and thought of man's heart was evil continually the idea is that people on the earth in that day it was almost as if they kept inventing new forms of evil not just calling good evil and evil good it was like they had to keep pushing the boundary further. That's not perverse enough. Let's, let's go further. We can invent something grosser. We can do something more shock and chagrin. We can go darker. We can go deeper. We can, and it was as if men were, were just infatuated with inventing new ways to do evil and sinful things. It was just a, a constant spiral in that direction. The Bible also tells us in the days of Noah, the earth was filled with violence. That is, mankind became very brutal. Barbaric, that it was becoming more and more commonplace that people were just hurting people, had no problem destroying lives, murdering innocent life, that mankind was just becoming coarse and cold and barbaric in the things they were doing to one another. There was a rampant practice in Noah's day of sexual sin an incredible sexual perversion people perverting God's natural, uh, natural design for a man and a woman as a husband and a wife, that there was constant perversion in sexual practices. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, and the moral compass of man had kind of just disappeared. It was as if there was no moral compass anymore. Things were just deteriorating darker and darker, and that moral and spiritual condition of humanity became so corrupt and defiled when they sunk so deep in the days of Noah It was at that point that God, to be righteous, had to intervene. He could no longer allow humanity to continue any further in that darkness and their wicked behavior. He had to bring an end to it. It had just gone that far. And Jesus says here, so when you see these things, referring to Noah's day, when you see these things, he says, characterizing Your generation, he says, that is a clear indication that the coming of the Lord is at hand. When you can see those same things as a parallel, and folks, look, I don't have to spend time this morning to tell you to just look at the characterizing marks of our generation, our culture, our world. I mean, it is like a almost perfect parallel line, it seems, more and more every day. The signs are extremely evident. Which tells us that the coming of our Lord, according to Jesus's words, not mine or some super spiritual prophecy guy at a conference, our Lord's, it's evident. It's got to be soon. Now, we need to remember two things in light of this. Morally and spiritually, our world is scheduled, I hate to say it, to get worse. It's going to get darker and darker and darker and darker. That is what the Bible teaches. And we almost have to not have our head in the sand and just be aware of this as Christians living in the last generation. But it also means, too, that as time gets darker, it also means time's getting shorter. It also means I can be encouraged that deliverance is coming soon. And it also means that I should have an incredible incentive to realize I should serve the Lord with passion and and care about souls and invest in people and the things that matter because time is getting more and more short. Well, Jesus emphasizes this is how his coming will happen suddenly. He then goes on in verse 38 and 39 to say, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, he says, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also, he says, will the coming of the Son of Man be. Again, Jesus marks another comparison of what characterized the days of Noah prior to God's judgment coming then. And this time in verse 38 and 39, he pictures how humanity in that day, right before the judgment of God and humanity in the last days before Christ returns and the judgment of and the wrath of God begins. He says in the same way, people were apathetic. They were just apathetic. It was just business as usual. They were just consumed with worldly affairs and everything that was temporal and material, and they were just disregarding spiritual reality. You see Jesus' words in our verses there. He says, in the days before the flood, right before the judgment came, people were, he says, eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. It's just language to refer to enjoying everyday normal life. The idea of Jesus' words there is for everybody They were so desensitized, it was just business as usual. It was just this life and this world is all that it is. So let's eat and drink and and entertain and get married. And and, and everybody was just so preoccupied, the idea there is. It was just business as usual. No sense that something was about to happen. No sense something huge and major was about to take place to shock everybody. In another account, Luke 17, Jesus' words say it this way. As it was in the days of Noah, Jesus said, so it will be also in the days of the son of man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, Jesus says, as it was also in the days of Lot, also in the book of Genesis, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, busy with business. They planted, they built houses. But on the day the Lord went out of Sodom it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all, even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Look, this is why Jesus is saying here in verse 39, he says, the people did not know. They were oblivious. People did not know, he says, until the flood came and took them all away. He says, that they were just so preoccupied, so distracted that anything was about to happen. Now, it's not that people didn't have warning. They had adequate warning in Noah's day. And it's not that people don't have warning today. The problem in Noah's day with humanity as a whole and the problem in today is that people simply ignore and dismiss God's warnings. They don't want to hear God's warnings, they don't want to be made aware that God is trying to reach out and rescue them because something huge is about to happen. It's the people are dismissing the word of God and dismissing God's servants and want to seek to keep living self-serving lives, even as they did in the days of Noah. So therefore, they will get caught off guard and suffer because they did not want to hear what God was lovingly reaching out, trying to say to them. Again, if we think of the events in Noah's day in Genesis chapter six, as Jesus is describing here, that it will characterize those same things. In that day, as I said, God was forced in his righteousness to have to judge mankind. But what did God do? Well, we know what God did. Even though God had determined, I must now judge, judgment is coming, God wouldn't have been just or righteous if he did not judge at a certain point. It would violate his holiness and righteousness and his goodness and his justice if he didn't but even once god determined judgment must come what did god do god and his grace provided a way of salvation and a way of escape right noah found grace it was god's grace that said to noah "Noah, look i want you to construct an ark a way of escape i want you to create a way of escape so that people can be spared if they're willing to believe and enter into the ark they can be spared the judgment that i'm going to bring And Noah, the Bible says, spent a hundred plus years constructing this massive ark, telling people why he was doing what he was as a preacher of righteousness, explaining to people, look, this is a window of mercy. God's judgment's coming upon us. And he was telling people God's made a way of escape. You can escape. Believe what I'm doing and enter into what God's offering here And he was offering this to people, telling them that God was going to bring rain and a flood upon the earth, which was something that had never happened before. It had never rained before on the earth. There was a great water canopy. There had never been rain on the earth. So as Noah's telling people, God's going to do this and it's going to happen by rain, the people were listening to him saying, what is this nonsense? Rain? We never heard of rain before? You're saying God's going to to do what? We... And and he's trying to tell them God was going to do something, but because they had never seen God do it before, they refused to believe him. And so no doubt they mocked and they laughed, even as people mock and laugh. If you try and tell them that the Lord is coming back and that one day if I don't show up at work or one day if I'm at the cubicle next to you and I quickly disappear, let me tell you where I went. And right what? Hey, you can have all my tools. When my craftsman tools drop on the ground, you could finish fixing the heater, bro. Go for it. (laughs) Right? I mean, and and what? And it just, it sounds so foreign that people laugh and they mock about this. But it says, but then the day came and took them all away, even as it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. God closed that door of opportunity and sadly only Noah with his family was spared. So sad. It says Noah's wife and his three sons and their wives, that was it. All that was spared was immediate family. But by the same token, I always look at that and think, what a wonderful thing that shows you that Noah's ministry was in the right place. Because his wife and his children and their spouses all believed and served the Lord together with him and they all got on that ark. And they were spared and they're enjoying eternity right now because of that. Because they believed and that's the place to begin if you want to begin somewhere ministry starts at home it doesn't start over in Africa in Asia it starts at home praying for, pleading with, reaching out to your loved ones, using the influence that God has given to you, leading up to the coming of the Lord. It's going to be business as usual. Humanity will be living for the cares of this world. People will be preoccupied, doing the American dream and all the stuff that we just, you know, we get caught up and consumed in doing, and they'll be completely disinterested in the things of God, apathetic towards what's spiritual or careless towards what's moral, and it'll just kind of be everyday preoccupation until... Suddenly, the Lord returns, and people are caught off guard in a sad way. First Thessalonians 5 says, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, hey, we're working for peace on the earth, and to just get everybody getting along, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape and describing what will happen when Jesus raptures and removes multitudes of Christians from the planet. Look at verse 41 or excuse me, verse 40 and 41. Jesus says, then two men, when this happens, two men will be in the field. One will be taken. The other left two women grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. So Jesus describes how in the midst of this moment when Christians are raptured, quickly removed, snatched away from the earth to be brought into heaven at his coming. He says, in that day, he describes it, how in the midst of just two men working side by side out in the field, just an ordinary day at work. They got up that morning, didn't expect anything different was gonna happen, and they're just working side by side in the field there, two women working at the mill, grinding their wheat, and then instantly, The believer suddenly disappears in the blink of an eye, leaving the unsaved person standing there shocked and astonished. What in the world just happened? What just happened? Instantaneously. Notice the language Jesus repeats twice for emphasis in verse 40 and 41, Jesus' words, one taken the other left one taken the other left. The reason they're taken, the believer is because they're taken to heaven by their Lord. The believers taken out to meet their Lord. The other person next to them, if they're not saved left, left behind left here on this earth to face the great suffering and tribulation judgment of the wrath of God. Jesus knows very clearly those who are truly His. Because one's taken, the other's left. Jesus knows for real the genuine condition of a person's heart within. If they're truly in right relationship with him, if they've been saved from their sins, if they've trusted in Jesus Christ and Savior and Lord, Jesus knows those who are truly his and he will distinguish one day. As one is taken, the other is left. Imagine what this is going to be like all around the globe when in one instant millions of Christians disappear from the planet in jobs and schools and families and households. Imagine two people, a husband and a wife lying in the bed, and then all of a sudden one spouse taken and the other left. One spouse removed from the house, You know, uh, uh, perhaps at times a child taken. And a parent left a parent taken and a teenage child playing church left one taken the other left in this incredible experience that's going to happen. And can you imagine how that is going to cause the world to yearn for some ruler to help us figure all this out? It's going to be a stage for the Antichrist to come right to the scene because the world's going to be in disarray. Well, look what exhortation Jesus gives in verse 42 in light of these things, he says, watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. He concludes with an exhortation. Since we don't know when it will happen and it will bring surprise, it will happen unexpectedly. Jesus says in light of this, always be ready. Get ready. And then every day, get up and live ready for the return of the Lord. I love how Jesus is giving a promise there in verse 42. Notice he says, your Lord Is coming. And some of us need to remember that this morning. John 14. Jesus says this. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. Jesus has promised he's returned to heaven. He's preparing a dwelling place for you, for you who know him, an eternal dwelling place. He's preparing. And he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm not going to leave it vacant. I'm coming back to get you. I'm going to come and get you that where I am there, you may be also. And Jesus wants us to be encouraged as we navigate the dark days and the difficult hours that our Lord is coming back to get us, to bring us home, folks. We've been saved from the penalty of our sin. Jesus has given us power to overcome the, the control of sin and the power of sin through his work that he's doing in our lives. But one day, he's going to deliver us from the presence of sin completely. As he snatches us off of this planet, and there's no more struggles with pain and difficulty and hardship and human struggle and the immorality and the filth that goes on around us now that vexes our souls as those who love the Lord. He's going to deliver us from that. That's coming. That's your assurance. That's your hope. He's going to free you. And the signs are more obvious, and that should influence our living. That's why Jesus says, watch. Watch, he says. again, That's the key word there. Be alert. Be aware. Be expectant. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5 says you, brethren, are not in darkness that this day should overtake you as a thief. You're sons of the light and of the day. We're not of the night or the darkness. Therefore, let us watch and not sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober. The Christian's calling is to have a watchful attitude because we know these things are true and we believe them to be expectant, to be attentive, to be anticipating. And notice, again, Jesus' word there in verse 42, and it's the word used throughout the scripture regarding the return of the Lord. He tells us to be watching, not just waiting. And there is difference. There's a difference between watching and waiting. Just waiting can be passive. You can kind of be preoccupied. If you're just waiting, somebody says, Hey, I'm going to come over uh, sometime this afternoon and pick you up, and then we're going to go do such and such. Well, if you're just waiting, you're just, well, you're doing stuff around the house, and you're not really looking for them to come because they just said sometime this afternoon. So you can kind of be a little preoccupied. They may even show up, and you're, you're busy on the phone because you're just waiting. You're just kind of waiting, and so that could be passive, and you can kind of be preoccupied and unconcerned, and maybe you're even distracted and hoping maybe they don't show up. I don't know. I mean, that's waiting. But watching is something different. Watching is you got your coat on and your shoes tied and you're standing at the front door because you're not just waiting. You're watching for them to show up so you can go right out to meet them. You know, whenever I think about that reality, I can never get out of my mind the image at a point in time when the girls were younger, we used to have a house that had a glass front door. And I used to love, after working hard all day long, and there's a season working two jobs too, I used to love being dog-tired and coming home at the end of the day. And maybe my wife did it just to be nice, I don't know. And seeing those three little Indians at the front door. <laughs> <laughs> waiting. But not just waiting, Watching. Through that glass door, watching and realizing, oh my goodness, they're watching for me. That, that's how much they want me to, to come home. You know how it blesses our Lord's heart when we're not just waiting, but watching, watching for our Lord, longing for Him to want to return. See, if we're watching, it will strongly influence folks how we live out our lives. Indeed, we should be responsible, we should be productive. I'm not saying go do foolish things. The Lord's returning. Let's run up the credit cards and just be foolish and quit our jobs. No, the Bible doesn't say. The Bible says, occupied till He comes. We're to be responsible. We're to be productive. we got to live out lives and grind out the daily routine. However, we're never to lose sense that our Lord can come at any hour of any day. And that we'd always live with that awareness in our lives of that spirituality. And what should that do for us practically? How do we respond in light of the reality that at any moment, Our Lord can come. Well, to me, practically, that affects how we live. Again, that we're not drifting into practices of sin. I don't want to have my hands involved and my life engaged in some filthy, stupid, carnal activity when Jesus returns and to be ashamed. I I don't want that to happen. See, but if you know he's coming at any hour, then you, you cut that stuff out. You get right. You live like you can meet him today. You live every day like you might meet him. You'll find there'll be a holiness and a purifying effect that will really begin to help and come into your life. It also should have an impact on our life to keep us living with a light grip of the things of the world. Yeah, we got to do stuff, but we don't get over entangled. We always keep a mentality of a light grip on what's of the world and material things. You just kind of keep a light grip on that stuff because you realize it can all be over at a moment and you focus on what maintains and keeps things the right priority. It helps you keep your priorities in the right place. And every day, if we realize, hey, that could be my last, well, then then that's going to make me want to keep my main focus and my time and efforts on what really matters most, and that's what's eternal. And let me say this morning, there are three things that are eternal. God, the word of God, and people. To me, those should be the three main things my life priority is characterized by. Knowing these things are true, my main priority should be my relationship with God. God's eternal. That's all that really is going to lack. Spend time with God. Be with the Lord. Make God a greater priority in your life. That's you're going to meet and spend eternity with. And the word of God. Maybe it's lost priority in your life. Look, this is what's eternal. Not Internet, Facebook, social media. I mean, the hours we, people spend on this kind of stuff. How, do you spend that much time in the Word of God? Or physical fitness? I'm not saying anything is wrong, but where's your priority? Look, I exercise every morning. Do you know how long I exercise? Five minutes. Seriously. I set my stopwatch. I exercise as hard as I can for five minutes calisthenics kind on of stuff for one reason. That's how much I care about exercise. <laughs> it's a little bit of good stewardship, but I'll spend five minutes on this, put on my heart and spend time with Jesus. A lot more than five minutes. Writing a devotion for my family, a lot more than five minutes. Because that's the stuff that matters. It's just a priority thing. God, his word, people. That's what matters. Our Lord is coming soon. Let's live in light of that. Let's let our priorities be motivated by that reality and begin to shift where we need to and put priority where it should and live in light of these things. Amen? Let's stand together. Let's pray.